If you've ever been at the Vatican and had the opportunity to go to the Sistine Chapel and look up at the ceiling, you would see this beautiful painting of the creation of Adam by Michelangelo. The particular painting had such a theological message because if you remember, we had Adam reclined on one side with his hand sort of reaching out. And then we had God the Father on the other side who was very much reaching out to touch Adam. And right at the center of the frame, you had the two fingers, but there was a separation. They were not touching. Many had speculated what that mean. Probably the most plausible explanation was that God would touch Adam when he breathed into him, in Genesis, the breath of life. But that gap would be heightened in the original sin, when Adam fully grasped for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, touched that fruit, ate it with Eve, and then they were excluded from the garden, so the gap became very wide indeed. Ever since, God has been on a rescue mission to bring back the progeny of Adam and Eve, which is us, into direct contact with God, intimacy. We begin with Abraham, that call God made, and Abraham followed. There were ups and downs throughout the Old Testament, certainly with the idolatry that Israelites committed, their captivity in a pagan land heightened again the separation. But in today's gospel, we have the fulfillment of God's desire. We have certainly the separation because the apostles hidden in the upper room, locked away, separated from God, separated from society because they were in fear. They feared the authorities that they might themselves be arrested and then broken, fearful of what they had done to the one they loved. They abandoned him. Judas betrayed. Peter denied knowing Jesus on oath. So there's the sin, the separation. But beautifully, as we just heard, into the locked room comes God himself. Now this is a new creation because the way John, the gospel writer, structures this passage, he says, on the first day of the week, when the disciples were locked in the upper room. The first day of the week brings us back to the Genesis creation account. The first day of the week, light came into the darkness and the Spirit hovered over the waters. Here, Jesus is the light. He comes into the darkness of their broken sin on the first day of the week, Sunday, and he's there to bring back intimacy. Now, because of their sin, they might have expected that God would be condemning them for all of their sin. And Jesus especially suffered so much, there might have been some note of correction. But none of that. All there was, peace be with you. Beautiful words of reconciliation. They would have been overjoyed with that because now they know God has come to rescue them. And after this, he shows them his hands and his feet because he wants them to be sure it's him. It's not some imposter. 
There's the famous story of Teresa of Avila, who had these tendencies to have mystical experiences with Christ. One day, Satan tried to trick her. He came in the appearance of Jesus, but she spotted the fake right away, and she said, out, Satan, be gone. And when he was going, he looked back and said, well, how did you know I was an imposter? And she said, there is no wounds, no wounds. When Jesus rose from the dead, he carried those wounds with him into glory. And he wanted to show that to the apostles, not just to confirm it's him, but also the seriousness of their sin. But then he says again, peace be with you. And remarkably, he reestablishes their mission. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. After all that failure, he's still willing to depend on them to bring the good news to the world. Now that's mercy. Then, this new creation, he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. So when the first creation, the Spirit hovered over the waters, here, Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit right into them, gives them that new life. Thomas was not with them. He had separated himself on that first Sunday in the upper room because he was probably grieving and ashamed. That separation, the disciples testified to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said, no, I will not believe. Unless I put my hands in his side, in his wounds, I will not believe. There's that separation. What does Jesus do? Mercy. He's going to reestablish that connection. So he tells Thomas, put your fingers right into my wounds. There's the connection. When he does, he makes the most famous statement of faith in the whole scriptures. My Lord and my God. And as he put his hand in the wounds of Christ, his wounds, Thomas's wounds, were being healed. So it's a beautiful restoration, new creation, that we now are asked to participate in, to come close to Jesus, confess our sins, receive absolution, and then, of course, we can reach out our hands when we come to the Eucharistic table and touch Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. One more thing, Jesus gives the apostles the authority to forgive sins. Whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Whatever sins you retain, they're retained. Now that would be wonderful because they've experienced their own brokenness and mercy. So now they can extend that mercy with great compassion, and not be proud or haughty, but be priests as they were ordained to be. Today, the Church celebrates Divine Mercy Sunday. As you know, in the early part of last century, in the early 1900s, Christ appeared to St. Faustina, and she writes about it in her diary. Now this was wonderful, and she recorded this, and we have her writing. So let me just quote a couple of passages from what Jesus said through St. Faustina to us. Let no soul fear to draw near to me, even though its sins be as scarlet. My mercy is greater than your sins and those of the entire world. I let my sacred heart be pierced with a lance, thus opening wide the source of mercy for you. Come, then, 
with trust to draw graces from this fountain. Souls that make an appeal to my mercy delight me. To such souls I grant even more graces than they ask. I cannot punish even the greatest sinner if he makes an appeal to my compassion. Beg for mercy for the whole world. Beautiful words. And on this Divine Mercy Sunday that was established by St. Pope John Paul II, the year 2000, let us ask God for mercy in our souls so that we can have that personal connection, never be separated from God. And then extend divine mercy to others who may have hurt us. We have a commission as well. Now, sometimes that's very difficult when we've been hurt. It's hard to forgive. But we do have examples through history of men and women, heroic men and women who did forgive after they've been very, very hurt. Their testimony and their impact has been immense. Probably the most famous example is Nelson Mandela, who was imprisoned in 1964 for 27 years, some of it solitary confinement, for a crime that did not in any way merit that length of term. He had that time, obviously, to think, and he did. He writes about this. He had a conversion in jail. He would not let anger or bitterness come into his soul. And through his contemplation and prayers, he embraced divine mercy so that when he was released, a fountain of mercy poured out. He was elected right away first black president of South Africa upon his release, and then, in a spirit of reconciliation, he invited his white jailer as a special guest to his inauguration. And the prosecutor who had put him in jail to lunch, those were his first steps to reconciliation. And then, as we know, he led South Africa in this great Truth and Reconciliation Commission that brought healing to the whole country, and apartheid was done away with. Beg for mercy. St. Faustina tells us we have another situation in the Ukraine. Terrible things going on there, as you know. Beg for mercy. And we pray that when it's all over, there will be another truth and reconciliation to bring peace between peoples, all of whom have been created in God's image and likeness. So let us open our hearts, be healed, be a fountain of divine mercy.